0: So we come tonight to Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 11 and 12. These two verses are embedded in the section that we looked at last time, the section which particularly concerned Abraham. So verses 11 and 12, we somewhat skipped these two verses, so we're now just looking at these. By faith, Sarah also received strength to conceive seed, And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. We notice the word also there in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself Also, And it could be that there are two reasons that that word also is there. First, to indicate that Sarah, like Abraham, had faith in God, had great faith in God. Although she wobbled a bit, as we saw in Genesis 18, yet nonetheless her faith reasserted itself. uh, And she had faith in God also, like Abraham. But it could also mean the word also there simply that Sarah, like Abraham, was part of this promise of a seed, of a child. In a sense, it was a promise to them both, because both were necessary, uh, naturally speaking, for that promise to be fulfilled. And it does remind us that they were indeed a godly couple, a couple who uh, we would say today a Christian couple, although, of course, that's uh, somewhat Old Test- and it is an Old Testament era we're thinking of here, but they were an equal yoke and mutually were disciples of the Lord. And just as an aside, uh, how important that is. Of course, there are some of God's people who are called to singleness, but those whom he leads into marriage, how important it is that that Marriage partnership is, is a, an equal yoke and a mutual discipleship of the Lord. One reason I chose Hymn 359 to start our service is that many people believe this hymn was written by Charles Wesley, not so much for the Christian fellowship, but as a commemoration of his marriage to Sarah, to Sally, his wife. Uh, and when you look at the words, you realise that it could indeed bear that interpretation. For example, verse 3, Then let us ever bear the blessed end in view and join with mutual care to fight our passage through and kindly help each other on till all receive the starry crown. There are two very nice verses that are left out of Christian hymns. Let me just read them to you. And again, we think of this in relation to Christian marriage, and what an encouragement and help this is to us to think of it in that context. Why hast thou cast our lot in the same age and place, and why together brought to see each other's face, to join with softest sympathy and mix our friendly souls in thee? Didst thou not make us one, that we might one remain, together travel on and bear each other's pain, till all thy utmost goodness prove and rise renewed in perfect love. I'm sure you'll agree with me, it it could bear that interpretation. And they had, Charles and Sally Wesley had a supremely happy marriage, even though she suffered very early in their marriage from smallpox, which disfigured her uh, permanently afterwards. What's an example to us of faithful uh, love one to another? Well, coming back to Abraham and Sarah, Abraham <clears throat> and Sarah had to wait long for Isaac. And in Genesis 15, and uh, Stephen preached on this not too long ago, we saw how the Lord answered Abraham and made clear that his steward Eliezer was not to be the one uh, to uh, to be the inheritor of Abraham's uh, Heritage; He was not to be, as it were, adopted. Uh, and we saw that in Genesis 16, both Abraham and Sarah, in a sense, conspired together to try and jump the gun. And Abraham had Ishmael by Hagar. But neither Eliezer nor Ishmael could be the promised seed. The promise was to Abraham, and as the writer here in Hebrews 11 says, Sarah also, and only to them for the promised seed. Sarah was crucial to the promise, uh, crucial to the Abrahamic covenant. And again, just to draw out another quick lesson, it reminds us that there are no shortcuts with God. Uh, God doesn't permit us to go shortcutting to His uh, will. Remember how the devil tempted Jesus to shortcut his way to glory by bypassing the cross, offering him the kingdoms of this world, offering him to become someone admired as a miracle worker uh, by throwing himself off uh, the temple and the angels of God catching him. And it was all an attempt to get him to shortcut uh, God's will and promises. And we need to learn here from Abraham and Sarah that this is not the way. Well, Genesis 17, 18, and 21 give us all that we know about the narrative of what happened. We know that Genesis 17 is a, a restatement of the Abrahamic covenant, which we find in more than one place earlier, particularly in Genesis 12. And God in Genesis 17 promises to Abraham that he will make him the father of many nations. And in that, in regard to that, he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. In Genesis 18, God renews this promise to Abraham and he does it deliberately in the hearing of Sarah. Sarah, who's listening in, uh, as she hears this promise uh, and she's listening in at the tent door, uh, she she doesn't find it easy to believe it. And she laughs within herself that she who is so old, something like 90 years old perhaps, should be able to have a child. And the Lord says, Did, you shouldn't laugh because nothing's too hard for the Lord. And Sarah is frightened. Uh, and she denies it, but God says, Yes, you did love. But then in chapter 21, we read that the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And if we combine what is said here in Hebrews 11, we realize it was by faith that she received strength to conceive seed. In other words, her hesitation to believe was just temporary. And we therefore can surmise that by Genesis 21, she was believing God for the fulfilment of this promise. And she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And he was named Isaac, which means laughter. And we can see that this motif, this idea of laughter, God turns it around in a, a wonderful way. Now it's not the laughter of unbelief, but it's the laughter of sheer delight. God, says Sarah, has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Wonderful way in which God has turned it around and we see the immense generosity of the Lord in the way in which he assesses Sarah. Here in Hebrews 11, her unbelief, her initial unbelief is completely overlooked and it is just says of her, by faith Sarah also herself receives strength to conceive seed. Again, there is surely a lesson here, which is this, that God is not watching over us to try and catch us out and trip us up and to make a a huge meal of every mistake and every sin. He is generous in the way in which he assesses us. In Greek mythology, there's a character called Sisyphus, There may be other names equivalent to this, but Sisyphus is the one I've found. And he was punished because he was a very crafty sort of guy, a very deceitful guy. And so the gods uh, punished him by forcing him to roll an immense boulder up a hill. And every time he got it up to the top, it rolled down again. So he had to start all over again. Now that is not how God is like with His people. It isn't as though every time we fall or stumble that we have to go all the way down to the bottom and come up again. God is generous. God is kind in the way in which he assesses us. And, And we see this here in Sarah's case. By faith is what the writer says about Sarah. By faith, Sarah also. Let me therefore just come to some further lessons in relation to this particular two verses in Hebrews 11. And the first lesson is an obvious lesson, but one that we do again need to to just take on board, that faith doesn't remove our need as Christians to engage properly in the ordinary responsibilities of life. Faith doesn't remove our need as Christians, if we're Christians, to engage properly in the ordinary responsibilities of life. They'd had a tremendous promise here. God had said, in your old age, I'm going to give you the child which you long for, perhaps which you stopped praying about, but I'm going to give him to you. But, as we understand, God never gave them a promise of a virgin birth. There's only one virgin birth in the Scripture, that is, of our blessed Lord Jesus himself. And although clearly there was a supernatural element, more than a, a supernatural, more than an element of the supernatural in the birth, in that he strengthened Abraham to, to have seed, he strengthened uh, Sarah to conceive. There was clearly something directly supernatural about that. But in every other respect, the birth was natural. There was the natural mixed in. In the process of conception, in the development of the embryo, and in the birth of the child. And it was all part of that process of living together as man and wife. Sarah and Abraham as a loving married couple. In fact, their example is set before us in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 3. Where in verses 5 to 7. Uh, Peter says this, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so they're held aloft to us as a married couple, Sarah reverencing Abraham as her husband, for God's sake, and her husband, Abraham, giving honour to his wife as the weaker vessel, heirs together of the grace of life, both of them living in gratitude to God for the very fact that they were alive, in God's world, living as a married couple. And that was all obviously intensely bound up with the fact that Isaac was to be born. We shouldn't just think of Isaac just kind of coming like a baby being delivered in a stork, by a stork. No, it was part of that married life that they had together. And isn't this true of faith? Faith as it is exercised in the Christian life is part of living in this world, in the ordinary duties of life. And we read about that in the New Testament. We read about the need for husbands to love their wives, for wives to be submissive to their husbands, for children to be obedient to their parents, for employers to, to care for their servants, and servants to obey their masters, and so on and we're to be obedient to the state, uh, and we're to render to each one their due in terms of taxes and honor where they're due, and there are many, many duties. And our faith is exercised, and our faith is expressed within that context. You see, we're not yet in glory. We're not yet out of the body and out of this world, this this, uh, fallen world, And yet this world which God made and God upholds, we're not yet out of this particular context. And it's in this context that we are to engage in faith. But that doesn't mean that we stop engaging in the proper responsibilities of life. It was quite a temptation in the days of the New Testament to live like that, to make that mistake. We have the example of the church at Thessalonica that were so convinced and rightly so of the second coming of Christ that many of them had actually stopped working. Many of them had stopped employing, uh, being in employment and earning money. And the Apostle Paul has to say to them, look, if, you don't, if you're not going to work, you can't even eat. You mustn't eat. Of course, that was a, a slightly hyperbolic expression. What he was saying is you must work, you must uh, honour God in this way. And to do anything otherwise is to be unruly, as he puts it. You see, they had just they were just thinking in terms of faith uh, and th- that particular dimension, and they've forgotten it's faith in a fallen world, in the context of the duties of life. So that's the first thing we can uh, derive from this passage. The second thing we can derive from this passage is that for Sarah, for Abraham too, and really for Christians generally, one of the major ways in which faith works in our experience, within the context of living in this world, one of the major ways in which it works is to the leading to the impartation of spiritual strength. You see, it's put like this, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child, which must have been exhausting for her at her age, when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now we could say, of course, she needed strength. Physically, medically speaking, she needed strength because of her age. But I believe it is a, A wider point than this I believe we can say from the teaching of the Bible that although faith will bring about within the experience of the Christian a number of different blessings and benefits one of the ways which is almost universal to it is the inspiration of strength and we can back that up from a number of texts for example in Isaiah 40 As Israel is encouraged to wait upon the Lord, the prophet says, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now he's talking here about Israel living in the days she did, 700 BC, in the days that she did, um, facing the challenges that she did of invasion, a near invasion at least, and of all the kind of issues that God's people would have had to have faced in a very um, heretical type of situation in the nation, and just to be living for God, it required faith. It required strength. Where does this strength come from to keep going day by day? Well, it's waiting on God. It's not because you're young and very energetic or because you have particular physical abilities. It's those who wait upon the Lord who renew their strength there's something intimately connected or to take a New Testament reference which really amounts to a similar teaching in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 and following we see what Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus and it's interesting that it's Ephesus where this comes out because in Ephesus he really stresses the duties of life the ordinary duties of life In chapters 5 and 6, he stresses the duties of life in marriage, in the family, in the place of work. But before he does that, he tells the Ephesians what he is praying for them. In verse 14 onwards of Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. It's not just a case of, well, this is what the Bible says you should do, do it. If we're going to do it, we have to do it in the power of the Spirit. We have to do it in the energy that God supplies, in the spiritual energy that he supplies. That's how we have to live, in the family in the workplace. And therefore, how important that we're strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And this is a product of faith. It's very unglamorous because nobody sees it. Nobody sees the process by which God does it. It happens perhaps as we read our Bibles, as we pray, as we go through the day and we utter prayers short arrow prayers as they're called and we're looking to the Lord and yet in our hearts there is this strengthening and the strengthening continues that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, there's a whole dimension of spiritual experience here and we need strength to to experience it and take it. Strength to live for Christ, strength to know Christ. Something that revives you and energises you. I, I have to say, I think it's... That it's better felt than told. When you read Christian biographies and so on, you realise it's better felt than told. So that's the second lesson: faith. Firstly, faith doesn't remove our need to engage in the ordinary duties of life. Secondly, faith leads to the impartation of spiritual strength. Thirdly, we realise from this passage much more than we realise may well result from our exercise of faith. There may be much more at stake than we realise. I think you could say this is probably the case with Sarah. She knew the promise that God would give Abraham a seed. She knew that God was going to bless the world through this seed. She would have heard about that covenant. But when we read on in verse 12, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. We, we got here two pictures of the immense multiplication of the seed of Abraham, like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. It's a picture of something you cannot count. It's immense. The implications of Sarah believing God and through faith having strength imparted to her to conceive the seed, it brings us to this astonishing fact that if Abraham was the father of the the church in one sense, Sarah was the mother of the church. She was the mother both of physical Israel and also the mother of all the faithful, from one perspective. The product of her faith, the result of her faith, Reaches right up to heaven. It brings in not only physical descendants, the nation of Israel, but also spiritual descendants. And the point is a general one. Who knows where your faith and my faith may fit into the path that God is leading to revival and blessing And the extension of the kingdom of Christ. Consider well. Let us consider well. Before we draw back in unbelief. Because it's not just us. But it's all that God will do through us. And as a result of our obedient faith. That is at stake. Then fourthly. All these heroes of faith were serving us. I think it really comes from the point I've just made. They were serving us in that they prepared the world for the coming of Christ. This uh, thought that there was so much at stake, that there was so much blessing going to come from the obedience of faith in their lives, uh, and as uh, the writer to the Hebrews makes clear later in this chapter, in verse thirty-nine. It was for our sakes as well as their own. Verse 39. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They didn't receive, but they were ministering to us and for us. Or in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12, speaking of the prophets, who prophesied the Spirit of Christ was in them and they prophesied, they indicated uh, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Ministering to us the things which are reported to us, ministering the gospel to us, ministering the word of God and the blessing of God to us. So Sarah, she has this experience as an old woman, as a barren woman, of having to wait well into her old age. We can think of the anguish and the challenge of that. But it was for our sake it was for us that she was going through that because there was something about her birth that needed to be special and different because God was preparing the way for the coming of Christ. And so you find the same with other women in the Old Testament. You find the same with Hannah. Her, her, probably her sister, although it's not exactly said, but it's implied that it's her sister who's always having a go at her because she is barren. But then God gives her Samuel. We have Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, again in her old age, giving birth. We have Samson's uh, parents, Samson's mother, in Judges uh, chapter 13. Let me just read that to you. Judges 13, verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And there is the promise of Samson. Now, although she wouldn't have known it, she wouldn't have understood it really, at that time, her suffering, her anguish was all part of this prefiguration of the virgin conception of Christ their anguish these ladies including Sarah their anguish the challenging trials of their faith was for our sake because it was necessary to indicate the unique and special birth of Jesus Christ who would be born without sin and therefore would be conceived by the virgin Mary And the lesson is very simple. We need to follow their example. Whatever trials of faith we are going through, whatever difficulties we are experiencing, in some way that we cannot see, of course, we do not know the end, we do not know the future, we do not know what God is going to do as a result of our lives. But known to God are all his works from the beginning of creation. And something has been sown and the blessing is being left for others. Even as it was through Sarah. And then the final lesson. Let us always reckon, as she did, that God is faithful. She judged him faithful who had promised. And that's why in Genesis 18... And verse fourteen, the Lord, as he gently, I think it is gently really, as he gently rebukes her for her laughter, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. As he underlines that he I mean what I say because nothing is too hard for the Lord. And that's really what she got hold of, it would seem, from Hebrews 11, where it says she judged him faithful who had promised. She had to have the promise really spelt out and repeated and underlined. But she got the point. God has said it, he's going to do it. Let us too reckon on that. Whatever difficulties, whatever impossibilities lie in the way God is going to do it Jesus Christ is going to build his church the Lord Jesus Christ is going to or he already has God has given us a path of good works that we should walk in and those good works will be to his glory he says follow me and I will make you fishes of men we shall corporately and individually be used by him perhaps in ways we never imagined, perhaps in ways we do not see before we get to glory. And we're not relying, therefore, on our own insights and imaginations, but we're relying on God's precious words. And for those of us who are getting on in years, just as Abraham and Sarah were, we need to understand that God can yet do much good through us. The total impossibility that we find in spiritual work. The impossibility of people's hearts being changed. The impossibility of people being impacted with the gospel. The impossibility of spiritual blessing going to others. It's all impossible of course. It's impossible with man. Because only by the spirit of God can people be born again. Only by the word of God can they be regenerated. But it's possible with God. That's the point. And that's where Sarah got the point. She got the point that she was judging him faithful. Who had promised. Therefore from one man. Of course the the primacy here is given to Abraham. But she's part of it. Therefore from one man. And him as good as dead. Were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Brothers and sisters, the exhortation is clear. We must have faith in God. Have faith in God.